Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, beauty, and meaning, and all are welcome here. My name is Chris Jimerson. I'm Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I have with me our wonderful lay leader, Bill Phillips. I'd especially like to welcome our visitors this morning. We are so glad that you're here, and we hope you'll join us for coffee and conversation in House and Hall after the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our services by lighting a chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. Please say with me our words for lighting the chalice, which are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship this morning is adapted from Rumi by Leslie Takahashi. Come, come whoever you are. Come with your hurts, your imperfections, your places that feel raw and exposed. Come, come, whoever you are. Come with your strengths that the world shudders to hold. Come with your wild imaginings of a better world. Come with your hopes that it seems no one wants to hear. Wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, we will make a place for you. We will build a home together. Ours is no caravan of despair. We walk together. Come, yet again, come. Unitarian Universalism is a faith without creed. We don't have a set of beliefs that we all have to sign on to, and we draw from all of the world's faith and wisdom traditions. So sometimes people ask us, well, if you don't share a common set of beliefs, then what holds you together? Well, I think a lot does. We have our principles as Unitarian Universalists. We have a set of values that we have discerned in this church, and out of those values arose our mission. It's our common purpose, and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our meditation reading this morning is titled, The Mosaic Makers, by the Reverend Alicia Ford. You are mosaic makers, practitioners of justice, called to respond to brokenness in the world, restoring beauty by joining in solidarity with the least of these, the poor, the undocumented, the wrongly persecuted because of sex or gender identity. You, mosaic makers, practitioners of justice, will minister to each other. For this ministry needs your energy, your passion, your hands in order to survive. It needs your wildly beating heart 
to animate its spirit. Being mosaic makers isn't easy. The pieces can be so tiny. It's difficult to see the whole picture. You always risk making a mistake and needing to undo. You will have moments of dis-ease, of needing to apologize, making amends, restore your covenant. You will have moments of fatigue. Share leadership, invite others to share this vision, and co-create with you. You mosaic makers, practitioners of justice, your work is an art of gratitude for those who came before and for that which is yet to be. How blessed you are. How blessed we are to be in this together. This is the time in our service where we take a moment to center ourselves together. We breathe together. And following our breath, concentrating on our breath, feeling the loving presence of all of those around us, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside. Some of us pray, some meditate, some simply take a moment to dwell in that place of greater wisdom that spark of the divine within. And breathing together, we enter a moment of silence together, remembering that in this congregation, the sound of small children and human sounds are a part of the sacred silence. Breathing together, let us enter that moment of silence together. Environmental activist and writer Edward Abbey once wrote, sentiment without action is the ruin of the soul. Sulak Sivaraska, co-founder of the International Association of Engaged Buddhists, put it as follows, Politics without spirituality or ethics is blind. Spirituality without politics is simply inconsequential. And our own great Unitarian Universalist theologian, James Luther Adams, put it even more simply. A purely spiritual religion is a purely spurious religion, he wrote. Now, what all three of these quotes are trying to get at, what they are all expressing, is that spirituality or religion that focuses us only inward, only upon ourselves, spirituality or religion that does not move us to try to make a positive difference for others and or our world, is spirituality or religion of little consequence, of little depth. In fact, I think that each of these thinkers would argue that we can only fully develop our own spiritual lives if we get engaged in something larger than ourselves. To truly nourish our souls and transform our lives, we must be willing to be the hands of the divine, working to shape a more just 
and sustainable world. Now, it appears to me that folks in this church have taken this to heart, even if many view the divine as metaphor. At any given time in this church, different members and participants of the congregation are working on a wide range of social justice and environmental issues and causes. Here are just some examples. Homelessness and housing issues and services. Disability rights. Climate change and the environment. Immigration justice. Anti-racism work. Women's rights. LGBTQI rights, assisting the elderly, helping assure access to medical care, promoting civic engagement, encouraging voting, fostering democracy, and resisting authoritarianism. And the list goes on. Likewise, we have folks engaging in these causes and more in a wide variety of different ways. Again, here are just some of the ways that people get involved participating in marches and rallies, giving of their time, talent, and treasure towards some of these issues, registering voters, pressuring elected and appointed government officials, making sack lunches for the Arch Homeless Shelter, helping repair housing for the elderly and disabled, participating in interfaith vigils and other interfaith activities. And once again, the list would go on and on. Now, I think it's wonderful that we have so many folks living out their Unitarian Universalist faith and values in so many areas and in so many different ways. But not only is it wonderful, it turns out that having all of these disparate areas of social change efforts under one roof, along with having such a wide variety of ways to engage them, makes it more likely that we will actually successfully bring about some change for the better. Earlier this year, I participated in a series of four online classes called Strategic Nonviolent Resistance, taught by our wonderful Unitarian Universalist activist, thinker, and academician, Dr. Sharon Welch. In the third class, Dr. Welch shared with us some research by Erica Chenoweth and Maria J. Stefan that I've mentioned briefly in a sermon before. Now, Chenoweth and Stefan studied 323 social change efforts ranging in time from 1900 through 2006 and from societies from throughout the world. Among the qualities that they found the most successful social change movements had in common were a few that I think are extremely relevant for, for us here at First UU today. First, the most successful movements were nonviolent. And they incorporated creative use of the social media of their time. They utilized humor and play, and they sought ways to sustain and build relationship between and among the participants in these movements. But finally, the thing that I think may be most relevant to what we have to talk about this morning is that the most successful social change efforts were disparate. They were disparate in terms of bringing together people working on a wide variety of social change causes so that the work being done for each of these causes could inform and amplify the work being done for the other causes. It gave these movements the ability to both work effectively on the specifics of differing social justice issues while also allowing them to combine their efforts to create more power and to make larger demands for overarching social justice possible 
when needed. And they were also disparate in offering people a variety of ways in which to engage in these movements. This drew in more people because it allowed them to engage in ways that were more meaningful for them. And in turn, it invested these movements with a wider range of the unique gifts, interests, and abilities we each possess as human beings. So this research would say that it is good that our church has so many ways that we can live out our values and carry out the do justice part of our mission. James Luther Adams would be proud that we're clearly doing our best not to be spurious. There are a couple of the more disparate ways that we do justice at this church that I want to talk with you about more specifically today, though. One of them is our Second Saturdays volunteer program, which we're taking a new look at now. On the second Saturday of each month, individuals, couples, and families with children can join with others at First UU in volunteering at local nonprofits. This past spring, our Second Saturday volunteers helped out at 10,000 Villages, Top Drawer, Project Transition, which benefits people living with HIV, the Austin Assistance League, and the Austin Child Guidance Center, as well as they did work here around the church. As we've been discussing, taking time like this to help others is a part of our spirituality. It's a rewarding spiritual practice, and it can be even more rewarding to do this work in the company of our fellow UUs. Now, the program has been on hold for the summer, and we'd like to get more people involved when we relaunch it later this fall, and we need your help to figure out how we can make Second Saturdays an even better opportunity for our congregation to do justice. So I'm going to ask that anyone who's interested in participating fill out the survey that we gave you in your order of service and bring it back to the social action table in the gallery before you leave today. Another of the ways that we do justice here at First UU Austin is to offer our church as a place of sanctuary in certain instances when an immigrant faces potential deportation and would likely suffer severely adverse consequences if that deportation were to be carried out. We do this through our participation in the Austin Sanctuary Network. We have a young man who has asked to take sanctuary with us. His name is Cesar and he's given me permission to share part of his story with you all this morning. Cesar was born in San Nicolas Limpa, El Salvador. When he was still a small boy, his father took Cesar, his mom, and his two siblings to a town called Apapa, Salvador. Because his father wouldn't give her money to buy food, his mom would get food from a tree called Madre Cacao and fry it with eggs. In this way, she was able to feed the three of them with what little she had. Cesar remembers that his mom would be happy that the kids could have food to eat, even if it meant she could not. Following this difficult early childhood, Cesar's uncle helped them get back to San Nicolas when Cesar was six years old. His uncle raised them and taught them to harvest fruits and vegetables in the field. It was in this way that Cesar began working and providing for his family at a very early age. But when Cesar was only 12, his uncle died, and Cesar remained with his grandmother, who decided he would not go to school, but instead would help provide by, for the family by continuing to work in the fields. He learned to work with agricultural machinery and drive 18-wheelers. Now, Cesar lived in the same household where her sister was raising her two sons. 
He helped raise the boy and has helped provide for the children since they were born. In fact, one of his nephews still calls him dad. Their father had been killed by one of the gangs in El Salvador. In 2007, Cesar's sister decided to migrate to the United States so that she could try to send back more support for her sons. Cesar continued to help raise the boys. We're going to call them Jose and Pedro. That's not their real names. They were both still attending school in El Salvador. When they got to be teenagers, one of the local gangs approached Cesar's nephews and demanded that they participate in drug operations and other crimes as a way to initiate them into the gang. Cesar didn't want his nephews to get involved, so he spoke with them and made sure they wouldn't join. Still, the gang continued to try to recruit Jose. Jose refused to participate and, with Cesar's help, fled to the U.S. But then the gangs went after Cesar's other nephew. They beat Pedro and told him that he must do all the things that his brother had fled. They told Pedro that they would kill him by the end of the week if he did not join the gang. Cesar spoke with Pedro's mom of this impending threat, and they made the decision that he, too, would flee to the U.S. After Pedro left, though, the gang started to target Cesar. They told him that it was his fault that both of his nephews had left, and he had to pay for what they had done. They told him that he would have to run drugs and help them extort people, but Cesar refused because of his religious beliefs. But then on May 1st of 2015, gang members physically confronted Cesar and told them that if he didn't go to work for them, they would kill him, just as they had killed Jose and Pedro's father. And on May 2nd, a gang member demanded that he get other members of his church to participate as well. After being told that, Cesar fled his hometown. The gangs then circulated a photo of him among their members, vowing that they would find him wherever he went in El Salvador. Cesar decided to quickly leave the country. He traveled first through Guatemala and then through Mexico to the U.S. After crossing the U.S. and Mexico border, though, Cesar was detained by U.S. Border Patrol and placed into what immigrants call Las Aileras, or refrigerators. I probably murdered that term, but... Uh, it, it, they call it that because there are these border detention facilities that are kept extremely cold, and they held them, him in one of those for five days and gave him only an aluminum blanket to cover himself. From there, he was moved to a detention center in Rio Grande where he was detained for 20 days and then moved from there to a detention center in New Jersey where he was held for another half a month. Then they moved him yet again to the Elizabeth Detention Center, where he was held for another half month, but given a bond of $3,500. He paid the bond, and they released him into the streets and told him he would have to find his own way from there. He spent that night with a friend who had met in detention, and the next day they brought him to a Greyhound bus station, and he made the four-day trip here to Austin. Here in Austin, he was reunited with his nephews and his sisters, and they provided him a place to live. He started working the very next day. And because of that, within about a month, he was able to hire an immigration attorney to transfer his asylum case to Texas. He paid that attorney $6,500 after he was promised that he had a very high chance of winning the case. After fighting it for a year, though, an immigration judge denied Cesar's asylum request, even though the judge had said that he believed Cesar's story that I just told you. 
Cesar reached out for sanctuary through his sister, who had heard of the Austin Sanctuary Network through personal connections and by seeing the work the network has been doing with other immigrants. A friend of Cesar's also reached out to one of the members of Austin Sanctuary Network. Cesar is taking sanctuary with us to prevent Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, from deporting him back to El Salvador where his very life would be at threat. The Austin Sanctuary Network will work with Cesar to conduct a campaign to pressure ICE to grant him a stay of removal so that he can remain safely in the United States. Cesar is here today, and I'd like you to meet him now. Cesar, would you come up, please? Come on up, yeah. While Cesar is coming up, I want to let you know that there will be many, many ways you can support him and his campaign in the near future. Please talk with Peggy Martin, who chairs our Inside Amigos Immigration Justice Group, to find out more. She will be at the social action table after the service today. I am very happy to be here with you all today. And I never imagined that I could find people like you that would support me. I am here today because I have a deportation order and I cannot go back to my country. I don't have many words to express all my feelings to you because for me it has been very hard what I've been gone through. So I just wanted to say that I'm I'm very happy that you're going to support me. I want to give you thanks for supporting me. And those would be all my words. I am just so happy and so grateful with God that you are here to help me. Thank you, Cesar. We welcome you among us. Your presence blesses us. Many gifts, many ways. We need them all to fully live out our values and mission. We need your many unique gifts so that we may do justice in the many, many ways our world needs it to be done. May we be the hands of the divine, shaping a more just and sustainable world. Amen. Now, would you please say with me our words for extinguishing the chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.